I'm not a very good gardener. Uh, I don't know about all of you, but uh, I'm not really good at it. I, I try a vegetable garden uh, at times. Not every year. I don't have one every year, but, but I try it occasionally. And they always do okay. They do sort of all right. I get a little bit, but not, not nearly the amount of crops that I, I, I envision when I plant them because I'm just I'm not really good at it. Um, as an example, I planted a grapevine uh, years ago, um, but I didn't plant it very high, and so it's basically a deer feeder. Uh, every season, they eat all the grapes before I have a chance to get any of them. Um, I do take responsibility, though. Uh, we live at a in a cul-de-sac in an unfinished subdivision, so we don't have houses on either side. All three sides of our house, other than the front, is surrounded by woods, and the woods are covered in grapevines right now. I take credit for that. I think that's, that's probably the best I've ever done. I do have a blueberry bush, and I get some blueberries from that, but I'm just not real good at it. Uh, my grandmother was really good at it. Maybe you had a grandmother like that too. She always had a garden in the back. It was always full. It was always perfect. She just knew what to do and how much water and, and where to put everything. I, I'm not that person I, I'd like to be. Jesus teaches a story, actually several stories, that involve planting or gardens or seeds. And I want to talk about one of those today. Uh, I'm going to talk about the one that's found in Luke chapter 8. This particular story is actually found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So John is the only gospel that doesn't record this particular story. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the same story, all in almost the identically same way. And they all begin by saying there was a huge crowd following Jesus, which was not unusual. Very often, large crowds followed Jesus around. And typically, what would happen is Jesus would walk from place to place. And as he was walking, he would teach and stop. And, and the crowd just kept getting bigger. People just kind of saw a big crowd and thought, well, I'm going to go wherever they're going. And, and, or maybe they knew it was Jesus and they were curious about Jesus. So they just jumped in line and they kept following. And crowds got bigger and bigger and bigger. Matthew and Mark tells us that uh, the teaching took place near a lake and the crowd got so big that Jesus hopped in a boat and paddled out a little ways and he taught from the boat so that the crowd wouldn't keep coming towards him, push him, push him into the water. So huge crowd is following Jesus and he tells this story. Now here's something interesting about Jesus. Jesus often saved his most difficult teaching for the largest crowds. Whenever the crowd got really big, Jesus would tell a hard story. And, and, and by hard, I mean challenging, um, uh, difficult to obey, or, or Jesus would lay out the commitment necessary to follow him. He, he, in a way, would cut down the size of the group. Like I know all of you like the way I talk and you like the stories that I tell and you love it when somebody gets healed because that's crazy. But I'm, I want to remind you that if you're really going to follow me, you have to do things like deny yourself. Like some, some of your family's not going to like you when you follow me. It's going to be really hard sometimes. You're, you might be persecuted. Jesus would always go for the hardest news when he had these really big crowds. Jesus would have been a terrible church planter, right? Because just the time he had enough to go to two services, he'd tell one of these stories and half of them would leave. 
You can imagine being the disciples, how frustrating it would be. You're following Jesus around, and you're getting famous, and there's a big crowd, and you finally get a crowd large enough to take a really good offering, and Jesus tells one of these stories, and it's back to just the 12 of you again. You're like, Jesus, why do you keep doing this thing where you tell these hard stories? But he would. He would, he would save his hardest stories for the largest crowds, and then the crowds would get small again, and then they'd grow, and he'd tell a, another one of those. Um, this particular story, Jesus is challenging the heart condition of the crowd that has decided to follow him that day. He, he's zeroing in on, do you really mean this? Are you really serious? Are you truly committed? Or do you just sort of like the sideshow? Like, do you like all the stuff around me? Or is your heart fully invested in following me? Jesus is clarifying that he's not looking for this superficial commitment out of people. Jesus is not interested in that. And he loves people, and he loves sinners, and he, he loves people who are hurt and broken, and he wants to mend them. But at some point, Jesus extends this very clear invitation of, you can't just sort of be my follower. You can't just occasionally pop in and out and call yourself one of my followers. I, I, I want your whole heart, your whole life, I want you truly bought in and committed to me. Jesus also clarifies that when it comes to the, the life of following Christ, it's not a box that you check. Like, okay, I did that. Okay, I'm good. I'm going to heaven. I prayed this prayer when I was a kid. I went to vacation Bible school when I was seven. So I did. I grew up in church. Yes, I've, my parents were Christians. I've done Jesus is eliminating that possibility from his followers. It's not just a box that you checked at some point. It's not something you did one time long ago. If you're truly a follower of Jesus, he's going to communicate. There's going to be ongoing evidence all throughout your life. And we're not going to be perfect and, and we're going to do better sometimes and not as good other times. But following Jesus is not this thing that I did and now it's all okay. Following Jesus results in what we might say is fruit or evidence or a changed life or this continual growth that's happening in us. So here's the story that Jesus shares. We're going to read it from Luke chapter 8. Luke is the third book of the New Testament, the second part of the Bible. starts Matthew, Mark, Luke. They're the stories of Jesus. We call them the Gospels. Luke chapter 8, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, obviously, this is not a complicated story. This is not a confusing story. It wasn't confusing to his audience. Many of them were farmers. They had farmer friends. They knew all about planting and harvesting. It's not even complicated to us, and very few of us are farmers. 
you understand what he's saying. Somebody plants seeds. The farmer goes out and he just scatters them. He just sort of throws them everywhere, probably has a bag of seed. He's walking through the field and he's throwing seed everywhere. And the seed is falling on different types of soil. Part of it falls on what he calls the path. It's probably the path in and out of the field is along the edges. So when the farmer would come to the edge, he's still scattering seed. Some of it falls over on the path. The problem with the path is because so many people had walked on it, it was packed down. It's probably like concrete. We live in Georgia. We get this, right? We know what hard, packed down dirt or Georgia clay is like. Nothing's getting in there. Water's not getting in there. Seed's not getting in there. And if seed ever falls on that, it's just going to sit there. It's not going to penetrate the soil. It's not going to go in. It's certainly not going to produce a crop. Jesus even said, usually what happens is the birds just come and eat it. And where we live, the squirrels are going to come, right? They're going to come, and the birds are going to come, and it's going to be gone. And if it's not eaten up, it's going to be burned up by the sun. And it's never going to realize the potential that it has. It's never going to realize the potential it was created for. It was created to produce a crop, but it fell on hard soil, and now it will never, ever realize that. And then some, Jesus says, fell on rocky ground. And, and, and by that, he probably doesn't mean a pile of rocks. No farmer is just going to throw seed over there on a bunch of rocks and hope it works out. He's probably talking about the condition of the soil underneath the top layer. That there is, on the top of the surface, dirt looks like all the other dirt. Looks like the rest of the field. Just a nice inch, maybe two inches of soil, but, but underneath that is, is bedrock. It's hard, and we know what that's like because many of us have gone into our yards, and we needed to dig a hole, and we stuck the shovel in the ground thinking it was all dirt, and we hit hard rock, and it felt terrible when that happened. We know what it's like for it to look like soil, but underneath there's rock, and because of that, the seed might begin to germinate, it, it might begin to grow in that shallow level of soil, but it would never grow very much because the roots couldn't go very far, and it couldn't get moisture, and it couldn't get nutrients, and so it would shoot up quickly, but because it had no roots, because there was no moisture, then it was eventually going to wither, because how far the roots go down determine how high the crop grows up. Like it can't embed itself in the soil, finding necessary moisture, finding necessary uh, nutrients, then it is never going to produce a crop. So once again, all of its potential, all that it could have been, is going to be spoiled and it's going to be useless. Now, the third example that he gives is that some of the seeds fell among the thorns. In other words, growing up alongside of the plant, it starts to grow. Growing up alongside of that plant is weeds and thorns, and eventually the weeds and the thorns outgrow the plant and soak up all of the nutrients, soak up all of the moisture. So there's this competition between what is true, what is the real plant, and the weeds and the thorns, and eventually the thorns and the weeds choke out the real plant. 
Now, this happens in, uh, in my yard. As I mentioned, uh, we don't have houses around us, uh, some on our street, but not around us. So we have woods on all three sides, which means we've, we've been in this house 11 years now. And so on the edges of my yard where I want grass to grow, the grass is competing with the pine trees and the weeds that are just outside of our yard. And the pine trees are soaking up all the nutrients and soaking up all of the water. And my grass is slowly dying. And huge bare spots are coming because it can't compete. It can't compete with the larger trees and the larger plants. That's what Jesus is saying. Sometimes you throw it out there. The thorns grow up, choke it out, can't compete. And then... Final category, there's some seed, hopefully the majority of seed, falls on good soil and gets all the moisture it needs and all the nutrition that it needs. And it's not competing with weeds and thorns or anything else. And it has plenty of good soil to dig its roots down deep. And it grows and it produces a crop a hundredfold, exponentially more than what you would imagine if you just looked at the seed exponentially more, is produced because of good soil. And everybody understood the story. Makes sense. Seeds, soil, makes sense. But there was more to the story. So Jesus goes on in verse 9 and says, His disciples asked Him what His parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, But to others I speak in parables, so that seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. There's a lot of people who try to explain that in a lot of different ways. I think one of the things Jesus is doing with the parables is he's dividing out his audience. Jesus is making it clear that there are some that have a heart for him, that they have a heart to understand, and there's some who just don't. There's some who just don't have interest in knowing what Jesus is really asking for, what Jesus is really calling for. He's revealing truth in the parable, but he's also revealing truth about his audience. And there were some in his audience that listened. They heard the same story that everybody else heard, and they had no interest in listening anymore. You have the disciples who, who follow up and say, Jesus, tell us more. We want to know more. We want to grow more. We want to understand. And then you have some in the audience who just turn and walk away. They aren't going to hear. That's why Jesus says, if you have ears to hear, then hear. If you're open to my message, I want you to think about this. I want you to consider this. Don't just hear it and let it go in one ear and out the other. I want you to think about this. We probably have people in our lives, just in general, maybe not from a spiritual perspective, but we have people in our lives that either we or other people have said things to trying to help them and they would not listen. Either their perception of themselves is off or they just don't see the problem that everybody else sees because people have gone to them and said, hey, I think if you would change this, you would get different results. Hey, I think this thing is sabotaging you. If you would address that, then maybe things would change in your life or your relationships or your goals. You keep sort of jumping in and then you bail and you jump out and then you jump into something new and somebody tries to speak to that and they don't listen. They don't have ears to hear. Jesus said in a spiritual sense, 
There are people like that. They hear the message. Sometimes they hear multiple messages. Sometimes they hear a message every single week over and over, but it just doesn't sink in. They listen, but they don't hear. Then Jesus begins to explain the the parable. Verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God, the truth of God, the message of God, what God wants us to know, the teachings of Jesus. That's the seed. Those along the paths are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Some people are represented. The condition of their heart is represented by the path. Packed down, impenetrable, not soft, not responsive, not able to receive the words, receive the seed into their heart. Instead, the message of God, the word of God, whenever it goes out, it just sits on top. And Jesus even says the birds are a symbol of the devil because the devil comes in and takes it away and they don't ever think about it again. We have an enemy. The Bible describes him as the devil. We have an enemy who, even when we hear the truth, doesn't want us to respond to that truth, doesn't want us to be changed by that truth. And so if our hearts are hard and the truth just sits on top, pretty soon it's going to be gone. Pretty soon he's going to steal it away. Pretty soon he's going to take it away from us. It's why a person can come and hear and get up and leave and never think about the things of God until next Sunday or two Sundays after that or whenever they come back or whatever next church they go to. They go and they hear it and they get up and leave and it doesn't change them and they don't hear it and they don't listen to it and they go on about their lives. Their heart, their mind, their thinking has become impenetrable to the word of God. They've become hardened to the message of Jesus. It happens all the time. Now, Jesus goes on to explain in verse 13. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Remember, the rocky ground is not a bunch of rocks. It looks like good soil underneath is rocks. A little bit of the plant grows up, but there's not enough room for the roots to go down, and so pretty soon it begins to wither. They have this emotional connection. Jesus said they receive it with joy. Like they're, they're energized about some message that they heard. Maybe it, was a, maybe it was a sermon or maybe it was a Bible study or, or maybe it was a song. They hear this particular song. They think, oh, that's so great. I love that song. They hear a podcast. Oh, it was so great. Um, they go see a Christian movie. Oh, it's so great. Everybody should go see this movie. It's so wonderful. And so they, they have these little moments of joy. Oh, this is so great. And then they fade away. Until the next little moment where they have this emotional sort of excited, oh, I just learned something new. And then they begin to fade away. And there is this roller coaster to their life. It's up and it's down. And it's up and it's down and it's up. And it's down. And, and, and Jesus says, what happens is they begin to, to wither. Right? That, that was his example in the original story. They begin to, to wither. Withering 
with, with plants rarely happens all at once. It's usually this slow process. Uh, for me, um, I've never gone to bed with a fully healthy plant and then woken up the next day and it was just gone. Right? Unless I made it. But like withering, it doesn't just wither all of a sudden. What happens is I come out one day, I've had this beautiful plant, I can't wait until something grows on it, and one leaf, it's like a little brown around the edges. And then the next day it's yellow, like the whole leaf is yellow. And then two days later, two leaves are yellow, and I know it's coming. Like I know this thing is done for, and so I, st- I, I try to water it a lot. Right? Let me give it some more water. And then... There's four leaves that are yellow, so I stop watering it for like two weeks to see if that'll help, and then I put more fertilizer on it to see if that'll help, and it doesn't matter what I do. It's going to die, and it's going to die over a, a, a season of time. It's not going to just be gone. Jesus says this is what happens when we aren't rooted in the things of God, and specifically, Jesus says, it's the time of testing that causes it. In other words, pressure, adversity. When life doesn't go the way we thought it was going to go, when struggles come, when life is hard, this is not what I expected. And then we begin to doubt the things of God. We begin to doubt whether God cares about me. Does God love me? Is God real? Should I believe all of this stuff? The times of adversity and testing begin to squeeze us. And if our roots aren't in the character and nature of God and the word of God, then we slowly begin to wither. It happens all the time. It happens all the time when people face adversity. They just begin to fade away. They just begin to wither. They begin to wilt. Now, now part of the problem, if we could just be honest, Part of the problem that we have to own is that sometimes we present the spiritual life in this way. If you give your life to Christ, if you follow God, if you commit your life to God, then everything's going to work out great for you. And maybe we don't use that term, but we sort of communicate that message. That if you're a Christ follower, then all your problems go away, and you never have a problem in your marriage, and your kids never rebel, and you win all your football games, and you're state champion, because that's what God wants. He wants you to be the best. He wants you to be happy. That's another one that we use. God's plan for you is to always be happy, and so when we're not happy, then we begin to question God, because, because our roots weren't in God. They were in our happiness. That was the problem. We built, root, we built our life counting on the fact that our circumstances were always going to be good instead of counting on a God who is good regardless of our circumstances. A God who is powerful regardless of the adversity that I'm facing, the struggles that I'm facing. God is still powerful and good and with me even when life is difficult. See, God wants us to trust Him, not our happiness. And sometimes our whole life is built around, am I happy? Instead of, do I trust God? Am I I sinking the roots of my life into the nature and character of God? Or am I demanding that I be happy all the time? God wants us to trust Him, not trust our own happiness. 
Sometimes even in the church, we communicate this message in the wrong way. Because we, we make promises on behalf of God that He didn't make. He didn't make any promises that life would always be easy or circumstances would always be good. Or any of us would always be happy in the sense that most of, in the way that most of us define happiness. He promised that He would always be God and He would always be with us and He would always be strong. And ultimately, He would always be good. Jesus goes on in verse 14. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. They hear. They hear it. sinks in a little bit. They know it. They get started, but they're squeezed out by what he calls worries, riches, and, and pleasures. The, the problem with the third soil is not so much the pressure of life as it is the pleasure of life. It's not so much the pressure. The pressure is the problem for soil number two where there's no roots and you begin to weather in the, wither in the heat. It's not so much the pressure with soil number three. It's, it's all the other stuff. It's all the other things that call for our attention in life. All the other, all the other things that we think we need in, in order to have an enjoyable life. All the other things that we feel like we need to fill up our life with. And Jesus says those things, if you're not really careful about your priorities, those things will, be able to, will begin to grow up over your faith and eventually choke it out. Eventually steal it away. Eventually take the belief that you started with because all of these other things demand to be fed in your life. And, and, and your faith begins to shrink in comparison. Just like with withering, this almost never happens in a day either. This usually happens imperceptibly, imperceptibly over time. We don't even notice that it's happening. But our, our gaze, our eyes, our priorities just begin to shift over to other things that seem so important in our life. Like, we have to do this. We have to have the Look at all of these opportunities. We need to pursue all of these things. And Jesus says what happens to a lot of people is those things get more important and they grow taller than your faith and eventually they begin to squeeze out your faith. Again, it doesn't happen all at once. It happens imperceptibly just a little bit. At a time, and it's so easy. I mean, if we're honest, it's so easy, especially in the time that we live in. Right? Economy's good. Everybody's got work. Everybody's got job. Everybody's got a little discretionary. Do a little traveling. There's so many places to see right now. So many different ways to get there. There's so many things we want to do. So many things we want to sign our kids up for because we don't want them to miss anything. Then we feel like a bad parent, so we got to sign them up for everything. Then we got to run them everywhere. And all of these little things begin to take priority over the most important thing. The thing that should be the bedrock of our lives gets overshadowed by smaller things. Jesus wraps it up in verse 15. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, 
and by persevering produce a crop. There is good soil. There is soil that is constantly receptive to the Word of God and and doesn't dismiss it and, and doesn't just walk away from it after hearing it. They let it settle into their life and they give it room to grow and they water and they feed and they give time and they keep walking with God and Jesus says there will be an exponential crop that comes from that person. Who they become in Christ, what they believe, what they understand, the spiritual life that they begin to lead, there will be an exponential crop. And that person who doesn't allow the pressures and adversity of this world to cause them to wither, doesn't allow all of the other opportunities of this world to choke out their faith, there'll be exponential growth. And it won't be overnight. And it won't be in a week. Planting and harvesting is like that. I think that's why Jesus uses that metaphor so often. Planting and harvesting takes time, it takes a season. It's a lot of waiting. It's a lot of cultivating. It's a, it's a lot of watering. It's a lot of preparing and waiting and walking and being faithful and waiting and walking and being faithful and being trusting. And winds are going to blow sometimes and storms are going to come through sometimes and we're just going to keep waiting and walking because we know that the seed of the Word of God is doing its exponential growth in us, even if we don't see it yet. Even if it hasn't popped through the ground yet, it's in there. And we're going to keep following Him because we trust Him. That's why I think it's dangerous to assess our spiritual life based on today. It's not totally unhelpful, but it can be a little dangerous just to evaluate who I am, where I am with Christ just based on today. We're all in church today, right? So everybody gets an A today. I go, I'm here. That should count. I should be good. It's just not a complete picture. My encouragement to you, and this may be a little difficult, but my encouragement is look back across the last five years of your life. Where, where were you 2014? What's going on in your life? 2015, 2016. What, what has been the trajectory of your spiritual life over the last five years? As seeds have been planted, and the Spirit has wanted to work in you. Have, you. have you been like the path, just hardened? I mean, you're here today, but if you were honest... You don't, you don't really want to hear anymore. Like anything about religion or Jesus or spirituality, it's just, it just kind of falls and sits there, and you don't think, it again, uh, think about it again. Has it been more like the rocky soil? In other words, you've had your moments, right? You've had those moments of, of joy, like, oh, you got really excited, and then you just weren't excited for nine months and then you got really excited and then you just you just weren't they say tried a new church and got really excited about that church and then 
you just weren't excited anymore. And then you tried another one, and you got really excited, and you, you weren't excited about that one anymore either. It was like the last one. And then you went to the next one, and you got really excited. This is so different from the last two, and it wasn't. And a couple months in, you weren't excited about it. And then, and then you read a book that said you don't even need the church, and you loved that. Oh, I'm so great. We don't have to go to church. And then that didn't last very long either. You just The things of God just... They, they never stayed important to you. And you, you, you never stayed hungry for a consistent word of God in your life. So your spiritual life just did this. Or maybe the last five years is more characterized by everything else taking priority in your life. Maybe you tried. Maybe you attended sort of here and there. You, you thought about doing a group one time. You, you almost served, but we just got so much. It's just all of this stuff and... And, and, and slowly, all of that stuff just rose above your spiritual life and pretty much choked it out. Or has the trajectory of the last year, two years, five years, has the trajectory been, and I, I just want to put God's Word in my life, and I want to walk with Him, and I want to be faithful and I want to give him the seasons that he needs to do his work. And I'm not perfect, and I'm nowhere close to perfect, and I still make mistakes, and I still confess, and I still need God's forgiveness in my life. But the, the general arc of my spiritual life is I want God deeper and deeper in my life and in my heart. What I find is good soil constantly needs cultivating. Constantly. When you get ready to replant, even if you have a small garden, if you, even if you have a bad garden like mine, you've you got to prepare the soil again, right? You've you got to dig it up. You've got you to put some nutrition in it. You've got to pull the weeds. You've got to clear out the thorns. And maybe what we need as we close today, maybe, maybe this is just cultivating time for all of us. In order to have the heart that God wants us to have, maybe the next five minutes, maybe as we sing these songs, you just allow the Holy Spirit to put His finger in places in your, in your heart and say, this thorn needs to be pulled. This rock needs to be busted up. You need to soften this part of your heart. Because nothing is sinking in. And that we would be honest. You don't have to be honest with me. You don't have to be honest with your neighbor. Be honest with yourself. Be, be honest with God. Because Jesus clearly communicated. Following me is not just who you are on the surface. F following Jesus is who we are in the depths. And how we walk with Him. And how our heart receives His Word. And how our heart holds on to His Word. We need it. Not a box we checked way back then. But a life we live every single day as the Spirit produces exponential spiritual growth in our lives. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would look deeply into the soil of our lives. 
And probably if we were honest, if we've, if we've been a follower of Jesus very long, if we were honest, we would say we kind of have swung back and forth through the soils at different times. There have been times where we let the pressures, the adversity of life get our heart off of you. There are times that we've let all the other stuff of life choke out our spiritual life. But help us today to cultivate the soil of our heart, to pull some weeds to get rid of some rocks, to develop a new sensitivity for walking with God, being who He created us to be, so that we would experience the exponential spiritual growth that He desires for our lives. God, I pray specifically for the person who just doesn't want to hear. I pray you'd soften their heart and soften their mind. If not today, then over the next weeks and months, that you would just keep softening their heart to you. That they would hear the words of Jesus. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.